this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Many years ago, and it's getting increasingly a long time ago, I used to work for Derby City Council. No cheers there. (laughs) That was stunningly silent. (laughs) And uh, I used to work in an office. There were kind of 15, 20 of us um, on the first floor of Roman House, which I notice is now empty. And I was quite well known in that team, I guess. You know, if you work with the same 15, 20 people for a few years, they get to know quite a lot about you. Um, But I guess I wasn't that well known elsewhere in the building, um, which is probably a good thing. That probably means I didn't do anything that warranted being well known elsewhere in the building. But occasionally I used to have to leave the office where I worked, which was on the first floor. Uh, On the corner, I used to sit there and watch the traffic pile up um, when someone went through the red lights at Friargate. Once a year, guaranteed accident. And uh, I'd wander into the depths of this rabbit warren to to, to a place where there used to be kind of loads of filing cabinets and things like that. And I used to just have to get some information about different properties in the city at times. And I was in there one day just minding my own business in this filing cabinet. And there were three three young ladies who used to work in this office. And... um, One of them started reading something from uh, a newspaper about someone who had done something utterly bizarre. And I can't actually remember what it was that he did, but it was utterly bizarre. Um, And she said, and it says here, he's a born-again Christian. And one of the other women in the office said, well, they're the worst, aren't they? And there was this kind of deathly hush. And she looked around and she said, is there a born-again Christian in the room? Because obviously the other two knew. And at that point you have to kind of say, yeah, that, that'd be me. <laughs> and it comes from, I think that kind of comment, I mean, she was very good. We had quite a long conversation afterwards. That kind of comment comes from just thinking that born-again Christians are weird, uh, which some of us are, to be fair. And there's this kind of sense, isn't there, of, well, it's just, it's probably very recent. You know, because we're part of a family of churches that we have, we have some roots in things that were happening in this country in the 1970s and 1980s when lots of people were leaving uh, established churches and going into what were called house churches because we didn't have buildings to meet in. So we used to meet in other people's homes and it kind of grew and there was this... There was a movement of the spirit. There was something breaking out of tradition and orthodoxy that was good, that we were part of. And that's, kind of, that's my history, personally. That's Mel's history. That's kind of where we come from. But when you start reading church history, which I guess if you're not a Christian and you're not really interested in the church, you probably aren't going to do. Actually, our country's history is filled with times where there is a real movement of the Holy Spirit. There's a real breakout. We had a holiday a couple of years ago in the Outer Hebrides. 
And you still can't go into a shop on a Sunday in the Outer Hebrides because not that many years ago, there was an amazing move of God in that part of the world. And people were turning to Christianity just in masses. We've had it in Wales. I remember reading stories of pubs and prisons that were closing in Wales because Christians were seeing such great revival, so many people turning to God that they were leaving the pubs and they weren't committing crimes and societies transformed. Actually, that's been happening across the centuries in this nation, in the, in the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries. We've seen incredible movements of the Holy Spirit. And that's been happening around the world. So the Holy Spirit is not someone that 21st century Christians desperate for some kind of new experience have come up with. The Holy Spirit has been around from the very beginning. Actually, when you, when you start to look at the Bible, and we're going to look at some passages in the Bible together, in the very first couple of verses of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is present. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He's there at creation. He's there right in the beginning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit creating everything that we see and everything we can't see. And when God creates Adam and Eve... We read in chapter 2 and verse 7 that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And in the language that that was originally written in Hebrew, the word for breath is also the word for spirit. When God breathed into a man and he became alive, that was a spiritual thing. That was spirit into the man, to give him life. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He transforms lives. He he changes us from a state that's much like death into life. He transforms people. All through the Old Testament, as you read through the Old Testament, and we haven't got time um, to look at anywhere near enough stories, but all through the Old Testament, you find that the Spirit fills people, and transforms them. In Judges, which is uh, a book in the Old Testament that's written in the time between Moses leading the people out of Egypt and Joshua leading them into the Promised Land and the appointment of a king. Judges tells us this cycle of these people who love God and worship him, and then it kind of goes a bit pear-shaped And they fall away, and other nations come in, and life gets tough, and God raises up leaders who set them free again. One of these leaders is a man called Gideon. And Gideon's not the bravest man on the planet, even then. So the nation of Israel are oppressed by the nation of Midian. They're hungry, they're being starved. Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat. He doesn't want the enemy to know that he's there. And an angel comes to him. And an angel calls him a mighty warrior. 
And Gideon thinks, well, that's not me. That's not who I am. The angel says, you're going to rescue our people. You're going to save Israel from Midian's hand. And Gideon says, wait a minute. I belong to the weakest clan in the nation. I belong to the weakest tribe and the weakest clan. And my family's the weakest family. And I'm the one hiding in a wine press. But he's obedient. And he does what God speaks to him about. And in Judges chapter 6 and verse 34, we read that the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms. And Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And he wins a great victory. Because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And transformed him. And the Old Testament is full of stories like that. Of the Holy Spirit filling people. Empowering people. Transforming them so that they can do amazing things for God. And yet, the people of the Old Testament know that's not enough. Just an occasional presence of the Spirit with one or two people at specific times. They want more. And God promises them more. And so we have this growing sense of expectation. We've read from Isaiah this morning or heard from Isaiah this morning already this invitation to come. Isaiah, uh, a prophet living in a particularly difficult point in Israel's history when they're under threat, who writes this. And he writes it about himself. But we know that he was also anticipating something far greater. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. The spirit was on Isaiah to bring good news, to bring freedom, to bring release. And they want more. Jeremiah, who lived in an even more difficult period of their history, looks forward to a time which God promises him is coming, of a new agreement between God and his people. So God and Israel live in this covenant agreement where he's their God, they worship him and him alone, and they're his people, he's with them. And the way that they worship him is to be obedient to the law that he has given them. But they struggle to do that because it's tough to obey the law. It's a perfect law. God says, okay, that's going to change. There's a time coming in the future where it will be different. This is the covenant, chapter 31, verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. 
I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Ezekiel, who lived around about the same time as Jeremiah, has this prophecy from God. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The spirit of God will be in his people and the spirit will equip them to fulfill the law. Joel. Chapter 2, verse 28 says this. Afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And there's this growing sense of excitement among the people of God that a day is coming when the Holy Spirit will be poured out on everyone. Not just one or two, not just people chosen for particular tasks, but everyone who trusts in God will receive the Spirit. Men and women, young and old, black and white, rich and poor, well-educated and poorly educated. It doesn't matter what your cultural background is. It doesn't matter what country you were born in. It doesn't matter what addictions you have overcome. The Spirit will be poured out on you. And there's this sense of excitement growing in the Old Testament. The people of God are looking forward to their Messiah, the anointed one, the one anointed by the Spirit who will usher in this kingdom. And it just goes quiet. And for 300 years in their history, there is no prophet in the nation who has... Words to speak that are considered by the people to be scripture. There are, there are political rebellions. There are uprisings. We know what happens in their history, but God is quiet. There's no prophecy. There's no outpouring. And then, then, we go to the beginning of Luke. There's a revival in the nation of Israel. Suddenly, the Spirit is at work all over the show. There's a priest serving in the temple called Zechariah. And an angel appears to him. Zechariah is startled and he's gripped with fear. And the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy 
spirit. And an angel appears to Mary and tells her that she is going to have a son who will be called the son of the Most High. And she says, how can this be? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And she goes to see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting and the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Mary prophesies, and John is born, and Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies. Jesus is born, and his parents take him to the temple on the eighth day to be circumcised. And there is in Jerusalem a man called Simeon, righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ and moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts and he takes Jesus in his arms and he praises God. And John grows up and he goes out into remote places in Israel and he baptizes people who are desperate for God. And he tells them, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus comes to him and is baptized in the Jordan. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. And full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes into the desert led by the Spirit and he's tempted. And he comes out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. And he reads from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. All of a sudden. After hundreds of years of silence, while they're waiting for this moment, there are these massive moves of the Spirit. And Jesus goes to the temple on one occasion. We read about that in John chapter 7. And there are huge crowds at the temple. Because this is a festival that they've been celebrating for hundreds and hundreds of years, remembering when God provided water for them in the desert. And they take water and they take it to the temple and they pour it out. Remembering the water that God's provided, looking forward to his provision in the future, and reenacting to some degree one of the prophecies of Ezekiel about a a river that will flow from the temple, which we kind of understand to be a picture of the Spirit. Some of our language is quite hard to get your head around, isn't it, if you're not familiar with Christian imagery and things like we keep singing, we're in the river. What's the river? It's the river of the Spirit. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Jesus stands up on the last and greatest day, and he says in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And the disciples have this tough experience of living with Jesus, who they know to be the Messiah. They know that he's the anointed one. They trust and believe all his promises. 
and they witness his imprisonment and his torture and his crucifixion. They're lost while Jesus is in the grave. And then they see him resurrected. They eat with him. They speak with him. They put their hands in the wounds where he was crucified. And he starts to speak to them about what is coming. And at the beginning of Acts, he tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And they're gathered. They're praying. They're waiting for this day that the whole nation has been waiting for for hundreds of years. And it's the day of Pentecost. And they're together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And they spill out onto the streets proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news about Jesus, telling of his salvation, promising that those who believe and are baptized can also be filled with the Spirit. And the book of Acts is a story of persecuted Christians going to new places, telling people about Jesus and seeing the Holy Spirit come on everyone who believes. People like Paul, who is there when Stephen, full of the Spirit, is murdered, has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's going there to persecute the church. He encounters Jesus and a man goes and prays with him. A man called Ananias goes and prays with him. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he could see again, and he was baptized. Peter goes to the house of a Roman, and he tells them about Jesus. And while he's talking to them, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. This is it. This is what they have been looking forward to. This is what they have been anticipating for all these years. This is where we are at right now. We live in a time right now where when you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit who brings life and salvation and freedom is poured out upon you. You can be filled with the Spirit of God. We have become, the Bible says, partakers of the divine nature. He fills us with the goodness of God. He holds nothing back. And I want to encourage you this morning, this is not just about what happens on Sunday mornings or in our meetings. This is for life. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I was having lunch with a friend of mine last week. I have lunch with this friend every week. Same day, same time, been doing this for about two and a half years. Costa, same place. There's a lady who's just been through my credit card receipts. Americano, medium, 
whole milk, goat's cheese and beetroot panini. Gorgeous. This friend of mine said something about something that he's facing in his life. He described it as a brick wall he has to go through. And God spoke to me. Tell him this. Oh, this is a bit weird. I mean, I'm, quite, I'm used to bringing prophecies in church meetings. That's a happy context to do it, isn't it? Over, over coffee in Costa. And I had to say to him, God says this to you. Because I didn't want him to know that it, I didn't want him to think it was my wisdom. <laughs> he would have rejected it <laughs> immediately. God says this to you. I was, I was in a house uh, Monday. And two of the guys there had had an argument on Sunday and I was helping them sort that out and put that right, keep relationships, keep relationships right. One of them said something in the process of resolving that argument. And God just spoke to me and said, now, tell him this. Because what he said was unhelpful. Tell him this. So I did. I just want you to know. <laughs> I think you need to understand this. Wisdom comes in those kinds of situations. We had a board meeting for Faith Open Enterprise the other week. Now, Faith Open Enterprise is interesting because although we are doing what we do because it's an outworking of the gospel, not all our trustees are Christians. So when one of your trustees sits in the meeting and starts prophesying and saying to the other trustees, I just want you to know this is what we in the church call a prophecy. This is God speaking. And then he carried on speaking. I mean, that's a trump card in a trustees meeting. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to bring people ever closer to Jesus. So it's great that we receive gifts of the Holy Spirit in our meetings. Actually, when you read through the Bible, most of what we read about the gifts of the Holy Spirit are people doing it out there in the street. That's where we want to see it. That's where we want to take the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what marks us out from every other faith and people group. It's the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is the invitation of Jesus. It's now. It's for today. This is the promise that people spend hundreds of years waiting for that you can receive this morning. And all you have to do is say, I'm thirsty for that. This is the invitation of Jesus. Come. And if you're thirsty... The Spirit will be poured out upon you. Transforming us, Paul says in Corinthians, from one degree of glory to another. Making us more like Christ. Pouring out gifts. Bringing freedom and release to everyone who receives. So we've done a bit of that already this morning. But it would be rude not to give you the opportunity just to receive that again. I don't know if that's... Can we just have a little bit? I just want this invitation. Okay, so... Let's be clear what we're asking you. Maybe you've been here this morning and you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have not missed your chance because everyone's moved away from the front and sat down. You have the opportunity now, if you want to take it, just to come to the front, just to say to Jesus, I'm thirsty, and he will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He's here to do that. And if you have been filled before, but you know 
that you need a fresh filling of the Spirit this morning because there is something that God has spoken to you about and you are sitting there thinking, that's what I want. Maybe what you want is to bring prophecy to your friend when you have coffee with her this week or when you are sitting with your neighbor or the person who sits opposite you at work or that you sit next to on the bus every day. If you want the Spirit of God to give you gifts, to bring them to Jesus, if you're hungry for that, if you're thirsty for that, come forward. And the Spirit will be given to you to equip you and empower you to live that godly life. We'll sing. We'll sing. We'll sing. This is your opportunity, though. You have, it's not too late this morning. If you want to come forward and just receive prayer, these guys, the elders are here. They will pray with you. There is the promise of a filling of the Holy Spirit if you are thirsty. First time or nth time to the nth degree. He never runs out. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk.